0: If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Ederberg, I'm one of the pastors, and this morning we're continuing a sermon series that we've been in for a number of weeks that we're calling Unstuck. And in this series, we are claiming the hope that Jesus wants to get us unstuck from the patterns of thinking, of behavior, of relationships, even of approaching God, these patterns where we are stuck rather than moving toward the full life that God wants for us in Jesus Christ. One of the premises behind this whole series is that part of why many of us are stuck is because there is a disconnect between our emotionality and our spirituality. That our emotional processes and our feelings are not really incorporated into or affected by our spiritual practices or the way we express our faith. And so in this series, we're hoping to reintegrate our emotionality and our spirituality and invite Jesus deeper into our lives so that he can get us unstuck. So if you've missed any of the past messages, you can find those uh, wherever you get podcasts or on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But we're going to press on in this series all the way through Lent. Well, if you have been around for a while, you know that I love this time of year, that this is like one of my favorites because this week the NCAA tournament starts. And Thursday and Friday are the best two sports days of the year. There's really no debate. If you want to have that debate, go have it with yourself because you already lost. So, But as much as I love this time of year, it also comes with a twinge of sorrow for me. Because I often think back this time of year to high school where basketball was my absolute passion and I think about my senior year where we were hosting the regional final against another really good team. They had one of the best players in the state in our division and so we knew it was going to be a tough game and it was a great game and it was back and forth and with less than 10 seconds left in the game, it was tied. They had the ball and called a timeout. And we go into the huddle and I ask coach if I can guard their best player. I hadn't really been guarding him most of the game. Somebody else had, but I wanted him in that moment. And so coach, let me. And so we come out and they get the ball in bounds, and they set a pick and I fight through the pick and he gets the ball and tries to make a move and I'm able to contain him such that he has to make a pass to one of his teammates deep in the corner. Now the gym was so loud that you couldn't tell whether the buzzer went off and we didn't have lights around the backboard to indicate it, but when I turned around and watched, I could see this player in the corner take this off-balance shot, throw up a prayer and this rainbow drops through the hoop. And I was devastated. Not only was it the loss of the game, the loss of the season, the loss of my basketball career in high school, it was the loss of my passion, the loss of the team that I loved being a part of, the loss of purpose as every day I was practicing and preparing, the loss of identity because I knew that my career was probably over when it came to basketball. We went into the locker room and I just cried for a few minutes, but then walked out just kind of numb and shell shocked by the whole thing and just had to keep going and move on. All of us experience losses in our lives. The question for us this morning is how do you process those losses? Do you integrate your emotionality and spirituality? So we're going to jump into this theme through Psalm 13, and if you want, you can follow along on the screen, but let's listen together for God's Word speaking to us this morning. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word? Send your spirit to move and minister among us in the deep places of our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 13 is one of about 65 psalms known as the Psalms of Lament. And lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And these Psalms of Lament give us a model and language to express the reality of pain and the fullness of our human emotion, especially in times of loss. And we experience these losses, and sometimes they feel like, if you were with us last week, the dark valley or the wall. And we read last last week a psalm of lament because there are similarities between the two and intense loss can be the thing that God uses to bring into our lives a season that is the dark valley. But they're not the same. They're not equivalent. See, God brings us into the dark valley as we talked about last week because he wants us to grow in contentment to detach us from the things that we're holding on to in the world and attach more fully to him who loves us above everything else. So God brings us into the dark valley. Loss happens to us. Loss is inevitable. And we know this, right? There's the loss of all sorts of things. There's the loss of money, the loss of jobs. There's the loss of dreams, of plans, the loss of certainty, the loss of comfort, the loss of security, the loss of health. As children grow, we experience losses as they gain more and more independence and they attach to others. There are losses associated with moving. We can lose reputation. We can lose ability. We can lose identity. We can lose friendships. We can lose friends. We can lose loved ones. We can lose ideas that we thought were a firm foundation for life. There's loss after loss after loss throughout our lives. And it's really important for us to recognize that. And then allow these psalms to help us give voice to what it's like when we experience losses. Because this psalm expresses clearly the distress of loss. How long, O Lord? (laughs) And when we experience loss, it is just like the psalmist says, isn't it? It's like, you've forgotten me, God. How long are you going to turn your back on me and ignore me? Because when we're honest about loss, this is where it feels like it begins. Because loss is associated with our expectations of how life should work. And many of those expectations of life come from our expectations about God. And the expectations that He's shown us and revealed to us about who He is. And He's shown us He's kind and He's good and He's loving and He provides and He takes care of us and He's going to bless us. And so when loss comes in, We find our expectations of God challenged. We're like, whoa, I didn't think this is how life worked, God. I didn't think this is the way you worked in my life. I didn't think this is how you would treat me. And so loss often brings us to a place where we feel disconnected from God. God, I thought you wanted good for me. As the psalmist says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? That phrase, wrestle with my thoughts, might actually be better translated, wrestle with my pain. It's a debated word. I think pain might be the better option because we don't really avoid grief and we don't really avoid the thoughts, we avoid pain. As H. Norman Wright said, he's a faith-filled man, a therapist, and a professor of psychology. In his book, Recovering from the Losses of Life, he writes this, hurt is a core feeling of loss. It is pain in the present. What does it feel like? Sometimes it is sadness, sometimes disappointment, sometimes depression. It feels as if you've been depleted, you are drained. And then he adds, you need to cope with hurt by expressing it. We need to cope with hurt by expressing it. That's what grieving is. That's what mourning is. It's expressing the hurt and the pain of loss. It reminds me though uh, of growing up in Colorado where during the winter they wouldn't use salt or brine for the roads to keep them free from ice, but instead they used gravel. And they'd have dump trucks full of gravel driving around throughout the year and, and, and through the winter and they'd just be dumping piles of gravel on the road. And so as the ice and snow would melt, eventually the tires from the cars would kick up the gravel and scoot them all toward the shoulder and the edge of the road. And so when spring would come around and we'd start riding our bikes again, and I grew up where there are no sidewalks, and so we'd be riding down the road, but a car would come and we'd have to move over to the shoulder. Well, now, if you've ever ridden a bike on asphalt covered by gravel, you know it's not exactly the most stable experience. And so regularly, I would, I would have a wreck. Or I'd slide onto one leg and I'd get road rash all down one leg and on my knee or I'd put my hands down and, you know, I'd look at them and they look kind of like hamburger meat a little bit. And I'd go home and I knew exactly what was waiting for me at home. Because to help get that dirt and gravel out, my mom had a great solution, hydrogen peroxide. Now, if you've ever poured hydrogen peroxide into a wound, you know that it stings and hurts like Mad. You know it's cleaning, you know it's good to help the healing, but man, it hurts so much. It hurts actually even more than getting the road rash in the first place. Sometimes this is what grieving is like. Expressing the hurt and pain of loss is kind of like pouring the hydrogen peroxide on. Yeah, we know it's cleaning, we know it's good for us, but it hurts. We're invited to get real though about feeling and expressing the reality of our grief. Because when we experience losses, whether they're big or small, there are feelings that happen within us. <laughs> Whether we're aware of them, whether we're able to express them or not, that actually can be the difference between getting stuck with things piling up, with compounded grief, getting stuck in replaying the loss over and over and over and moving in and through and growing because of the loss. Yet we are pretty committed to not feeling pain, aren't we? We have lots of defense mechanisms in our lives to avoid the pain. We're reading a book along with this series by Peter Schizero called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and in it he names some of those defense mechanisms and I'll name just a couple. I'm going to hit them really briefly and I'd encourage you to consider what do you use in your life to avoid the pain, the pain of loss. I mean, there's good old-fashioned denial, just pretend it didn't really happen or at least pretend that the hurt isn't actually there. Maybe you choose distraction because denial isn't working. And so, find yourself trying to find ways to not focus on the reality of the pain. And Now, I want to acknowledge that in seasons of really intense loss, that busyness might actually be part of basic survival. Because there are times where the pain and hurt feel so big, so much, that it's just going to swallow you whole and so you don't have to plunge full into all the pain all at once. There's permission. But if we continually pursue busyness and we never circle back and we never come back to begin to express the hurt and the pain, then really our busyness is just part of our denial cycle and isn't helping us move forward and get unstuck. So we have to come back to express the hurt and the pain. Maybe you like to just minimize it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I didn't really like her. You know, she was okay, but not that great. Or maybe you like to rationalize and make excuses so that it doesn't hurt so much. You know, I would have had to move if I had gotten that job. And moving is such a pain. And I would have had to find, you know, all new dentists and doctors and grocery stores. So really, it just was a big hassle. How we make these excuses to try to convince ourselves that it doesn't hurt as much when maybe in reality that was the dream job. And she was the dream girl. In the process of loss, we can also idealize someone or something that we lost. And in the process, we end up creating a false reality, a false narrative about who that person was or what the thing is that we lost. And it doesn't help us to actually move forward. It doesn't help us address the reality of the pain. Because maybe the pain wasn't just about what wasn't healed in life. There's a new pain that comes along with the loss. The pain of knowing there isn't going to be a reconciliation. And so idealization just avoids having to look that in the face. Some of us find in loss we just regress. That we... We, if we don't get what we want, we kind of come to the place like my three-year-old yesterday when he didn't get milk at the time that he wanted it, throw ourselves on the ground and hammer and pound our fists and kick our feet. And, you know, I know you probably haven't done it exactly like that, but you know what an adult temper tantrum looks like. I know you, you wouldn't have one. You know people who know people who have seen it. It's It's not pretty. In the midst of loss, man, hostility is so natural. It comes out so easily. A hostility towards others, maybe because we're trying to connect them or blame them to the loss that we're experiencing or at least to the pain that we're we're feeling in the moment. Maybe there's just a hostility toward yourself. You tend to blame yourself for all of the losses that you've experienced in your life. And through all of these things, there seems to be an anger, especially among men. Men seem to do worse with loss than women do. There's probably lots of reasons for that. But we believe these lies, you know, that we have to be strong all the time. And I know, women, you have that same kind of tape going in your head. But anger is like this socially acceptable emotion among men. And anger makes us all in the moment feel strong just for the moment because we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling the pain. And when it comes to loss, I think a lot of our anger has to do with how loss exposes our limits, (laughs) and we don't like limits. Scazzaro says this in his book, he says, Limits are behind all loss. We cannot do or be anything we want. We cannot do or be anything we want. I wasn't given the gifts and the genes of fast twitch muscle fiber, So I couldn't really jump and I wasn't fast. So the reality is my basketball career was probably going to end in high school or just thereafter. My limits made me vulnerable to loss. And there was nothing, even as hard as I worked day after day after day, there was nothing I could ultimately do about it. When we experience loss, it exposes and really even preys on our limits. Our inability to accomplish something that we want. Some of the losses we experience we could call kind of temporary losses. These are losses where the loss is real but there's hope that maybe something could change but it hasn't yet. This happens especially when we see relationships break down where there's estrangement. Like yes, there is hope that there can be reconciliation and it does happen and it's a real hope and yet at the same time, it hasn't happened yet and it's not a guarantee. And so living in the midst, in the in-between, living in the loss day after day, there's not just the pain of the estrangement, there's the pain of being powerless to bring closure or to bring reconciliation. Right? We're floating in the midst of the loss and in the midst of the helplessness that is our limitation. I remember feeling this way when my parents separated and then ultimately divorced when I was in high school. Early on, hoping desperately that they would get back together, thinking, trying to figure out how could I fix this? How could I make this right? What could I do that might be able to bring them back together and over time eventually realizing that there was absolutely nothing I could do? and i couldn't bring closure i couldn't bring myself to a place where i could simply accept the reality of the loss integrate what needed to change into my pattern of life that the loss required i just couldn't do it i was limited experiencing both the loss and the helplessness of course we we also know that we experience permanent losses Those are those ultimate losses where the job opportunity is gone and it's never coming back, where the dream we know will never come to pass, where our health has changed and it it will not be reversed, where we move or someone else moves, where we lose a loved one. And this brings us up against our ultimate limit, that we can't undo what has been done and we can't get back what is lost, even though we so desperately want it. This is being expressed in the psalm, that desperation in Psalm 13. Look on me, God. Hear me. Answer me. If you don't, it's like I will die though I'm alive. These losses push us against our limitations to accomplish something. But the last limit it pushes up against, if we're really honest, loss reveals our limit and our desire to control God to force him to do something. See, in John 11, Lazarus died. This is what we read earlier. And his sisters, Martha and Mary, both say to Jesus, if you had been here, you could have saved him. You could have prevented him from dying. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead because he's going to use this as an object lesson to show what he's really capable of. Right? He was defying their expectations. They thought that he could have prevented death and he's gonna show them that death itself does not limit him. But in the moment of their loss for Martha and Mary, they're experiencing what we so often experience. God, you could have done something. And so we come against our limit. God, I've been a good person. I serve and I give and I worship and I read the Bible. I'm good. Why is this happening to me? You aren't upholding your end of the deal I made with you. We often have this expectation in our relationship with God. If I do this, then God, you will do that. You'll protect me. You'll take care of my family. You'll provide. And loss has this way of revealing our limit. It reveals this is our approach to God. Because we cannot control God. We cannot force God to do something. We cannot place our expectations on God. God will do his will. And in our loss and our limits, we're invited to own that, to acknowledge that, to grieve it. But where do we go from there? Where do we turn because we can't change it? The psalm of of lament reminds us, invites us to turn back to God, to the only one who can change it. Even lament, expressing what seems like these negative and huge feelings to God, is an act of relationship and faith, that God, you're the only one that can do something about this. But I think the reality is, more often than changing the situation and changing the loss, reversing the loss for us, God changes our understanding of who he is, of how he works in our lives and what he is up to in the world. Bringing us to a place like the psalmist to be able to say, all of this loss is real, but I trust your unfailing love. See, the psalmist is remembering the past, remembering God's acts of unfailing love throughout the course of his life. And on our journey through life, and as we experience loss, we need to remember, and we need one another to be able to remember God's unfailing love. And we need to be a good support for one another. If you've ever experienced heavy loss, you also know what bad support looks like. And honestly, Christians can be the worst in offering support in times of loss. Because we want to jump to the end of the story. We want to avoid the pain of grief by claiming the victory and the promise of Jesus in the resurrection. And the promise is real. But the victory is only as sweet as the reality of the pain that we endure. See, it's only good news because there's bad news. And the bad news for each and every one of us is that loss is real. The pain is real. The hurt is real is real. Our limits are real. And the good news is that maybe God will raise Lazarus here and now and we will see it, but maybe that promise won't be realized until someday when Jesus comes again. And today, perhaps we might be learning how good that news will feel someday because we're sitting in the reality of the pain and the hurt right now. And in that, it expands our appreciation expands our perspective, deepens our understanding of what Je- the good is that Jesus will do when he comes back. And so it doesn't help to push the victory on one another or on ourselves. Instead, that often heaps guilt on top of the loss and the hurt. And it doesn't help to add platitudes. You know, there's lots of things that we say in times where someone experiences loss that we say because we're really uncomfortable with the pain and we don't want to have to deal with it. And so we say things to try to, you know, slap a band-aid on it, make it better so that we can run away because we don't want to have to sit in the pain along with them. And yet that's exactly what we need is to sit in it with one another and gently remind one another of the unfailing love of God. This is what Martha and Mary had. They, They had people... Following them around, weeping alongside them. Even Jesus himself wept with them in their grief and their loss. Right? Jesus, who knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, who totally could have avoided it, instead stepped in, entered into the reality of the hurt and the grief. He chose it. He chose the pain. He loves us so much that he enters into the sorrow and the hurt and the grief of loss. And so the psalmist, remembering the reality of that unfailing love, cries out in worship, I will sing the Lord's praise. He has been good to me. And so we can grieve and we can worship all at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. We can hurt and we can express the reality of the pain and the feeling that God has turned his face away from us and we can praise him and remember his goodness and his love and his faithfulness. This has been the reality of our last year together, if you've been with us. If you haven't, that's okay. A little over a year ago, we lost a beloved member of our staff and of our church family, Michael Barozzi. And the reality for me and for many of us over the course of this last year, there have been times of wanting to simply climb into the pit to avoid the pain. To put all the defenses up so that we don't have to deal with the reality of the hurt. And at the same time, gathering intentionally together to worship, to sing, even when it's been hard to sing to claim the character and the goodness of God even when it feels like his face is turned away. To cling to the truth that there is a God who loves us with an unfailing love and he proved it. He proved us by not avoiding the sorrow and pain himself but instead Jesus entering into the reality of that loss and pain where Isaiah 53 says he is a man of sorrow acquainted with griefs. Where we are limited to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to bring closure. We are limited to force God's hand. Jesus is unlimited. And in his life and his death and his resurrection, he has secured for you and for me the unfailing love of God. And that love will be sweeter and sweeter as we are honest, we are real, we are vulnerable as we express the depth and the reality of our pain as we share in that grief as a community together. It will deepen our appreciation. It will widen our perspective and it will increase our rejoicing when the fullness of the goodness of God comes and is experienced. In little bits and tastes here in the land of the living, and in completeness and fullness when Jesus comes again. See, this is the hard invitation and the good promise God has for us in grief. And so, will you enter in? Let's be a community that enters in together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We all experience loss and we all are so tempted to to try to avoid it, to bypass it, to reduce the hurt and God we can't, we acknowledge in this moment that we are not able, that there are limits upon us in our finitude that we turn to you and we cry out for you to look on us, to answer us, to hear us to work in us, to bring healing for us. Lord God, we give ourselves to you sitting in the midst of hurt and pain, some of us, inviting you to meet us there, grateful that you don't bypass the sorrow and grief yourself, but that you entered in and suffered with us, suffered for us because you love us that much. Lord, may we know you as the one who is with us even in the places of hurt.